0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today is the third part in our series on agorism. If you have not listened to the other two episodes before this, then stop and go back and listen to them. I'm not going to go back over all the basics of what agorism is, how does it apply, all this stuff. I'm just going to assume that you are aware. I will give the brief overall definition that agorism is just related to counter-economics and acting outside of the system and away from state control and focused on self-sufficiency and self-reliance and not being reliant on the state or other institutions. So that's where we're starting with. Today's episode specifically is our normally our education episode. We usually do government, money, then education for the focus. And today is the education focus. So what I want to do is move from more physical, tangible things to things involved with the intellect. So we have talked about what you need to survive in the first episode and how to do that outside of the government and institutions. Then in the second episode, we talked more about markets and finances from an agorist perspective and so this time we're going to talk about basically what should you know what should you be aware of what should you be researching what are some other aspects of this that are not just what you buy and sell and what you do with your money there is more to it agorism is a philosophy that's all-encompassing and so let's talk about what those other things are. Also, how do you change society or make an impact on society from this philosophy? Because obviously, if you're not dealing with the state, then you're not dealing with politics, either locally or nationally. And if you're not dealing with politics, you're not dealing with laws and regulations. So how in the world are you going to make an impact on things like war and discrimination and drug laws and all this kind of stuff? So we'll talk about that too, things related to activism and social change. So that's the plan for today. We'll start off by looking at just the overall ideas and the overall concepts and um, frame of mind that one would be in if you're approaching life from an agorist perspective. Then we'll get into things to learn about, specifically mainly tech and then health and then kids And then we'll talk about the activism and social change aspect and how to make an impact on society locally as well as the bigger picture. And then we'll get into more relational things and community things, how to get involved personally and ideas for doing things yourself and starting things on your own instead of joining other people's groups or ideas or programs or projects, whatever. So that's our rough outline for today's episode, and we'll go ahead and start right up. So to begin with, the very first thing, the most important thing for all of this when you're looking at things from an agorist philosophy, or really any philosophy, is to find intrinsic motivation. Why should this apply for you? What are your goals? How can this make your life better? Things like this. You you need to want to be involved with this. You need to want to learn and research and better yourself and all of this stuff. And the philosophy should be one that does apply well to you, that you agree with. If you don't have any intrinsic motivation, then it's never going to work. It's very similar with exercising. If you're not motivated to exercise at all, you don't want to exercise, then you might start, you might be able to force yourself to, but you're never really going to be able to get all the benefits that you could, and usually you're actually going to drop off and not exercise at all. But if you are intrinsically motivated yourself and you really want to accomplish something and you really want to be involved with it, then you'll probably be very successful, whether it be in exercise or in a certain life philosophy like agorism. So that's the number one thing, and hopefully, especially after the past two episodes and then definitely after this one, you should be able to figure out why and how agorism can and would be good for applying to your life personally, and there is your intrinsic motivation. The next aspect would be to make sure you're focusing on logic over emotion. Just in general, you are going to be participating in rational discussion and debate. You're going to look at many different perspectives, many different sources. Basically, you want to be open to lots of different things. And in order to do that, you have to be able to assess them logically and not just write them off because they don't fit with your little box. And so you have to be open-minded, but you also have to do that logically and rationally. If you are too emotional about it and you are doing things just based on how you feel or what your past prejudices say about a certain thing, then you are probably not going to be assessing the situation very logically and rationally. Now, when you're dealing with agorist principles and ideas, it's really best to look at many different perspectives, get many different views, because... That these topics are so wide ranging when you talk about things like let's say vaccines or chiropractic care or um uh, tech security just all kinds of stuff there are people all the way on one side that say don't worry about it at all there's nothing to worry about like it's pointless don't waste your time all the way to the other side that say you know the robot overlords are overtaking society you have to act now and so uh, I would think it's fairly obvious that probably the best course of action for you lies somewhere in between those two extremes. And so in order to figure out where in between those two extremes is a place that fits your life and your views the best, or that is just objectively the correct position, you you have to really look at both sides of the argument and you have to look at the arguments, but do this logically and rationally. So that's very important One very good example would be where you get your news from. So ideally, you're not getting your news from just cable news networks. You might, and you're probably not benefiting a whole lot from that. But that might be one source, and I I wouldn't say that you shouldn't watch the news. I mean, you can. But there are much more relevant and accurate sources to look at other than cable television. And so you should be taking advantage of that, but you should be looking from all different perspectives. So you should have one source that's more far left wing, one source that's more conservative right wing, one source that is neither and more libertarian. And if you want to fit any other source in between there, go for it. That's great. But at a bare minimum, you should be getting your news and your content from those three perspectives. And they really will balance each other out very well. You'll get information from one that won't be in the other two or from two that won't be in one. But you'll also hear the same stories from all three sides oftentimes. And that can really give you a much better view of what's really going on. Whereas if you just listen to one source or watch one source or read one source, you're probably going to be missing out on a lot of the story. And so... That's not very beneficial to you, but that's just overall a good example of making sure that you are looking from many different perspectives, and then you're looking at it logically and rationally to analyze what the real and relevant information is, how it applies, what the truth is, that kind of stuff, and that's what you should be doing with your news, but that's also what you should be doing with everything else related to basically everything I'm going to talk about today. So that is the second thing to focus on. The third is just overall to focus on learning over entertainment. Or if you are lucky enough to have this work out, you can focus on learning as entertainment. So sometimes whatever you're learning is something that is also entertaining to you. So that's wonderful. That's a great way of doing it that keeps you motivated. But in general, just the fact of trying to learn and better yourself and gain new information that is relevant to you that is something that we should all be focused on not focused on the latest sports games or celebrity gossip or some show that everybody's watching whatever the case may be this is all just entertainment now entertainment is not bad in and of itself it is okay to sit down and watch a show in the evenings but if you're sitting down for four hours watching TV and every night, then that's not very balanced, that's not very beneficial to you, you're wasting a lot of your time that you could be spending actually bettering yourself and bettering your life, because as you better yourself, and as you learn more, you can apply that in your life and better your life and the life of those around you, your family, your friends, whoever. So that's what we should be focused on. Related to this, there are so many resources out there, uh, mainly and mostly free resources. Take advantage of those. We've got the internet, which is basically unlimited free information. You've got YouTube. You've got Medium for different articles. You've got podcasts like this one and you know thousands of others out there on all different kinds of topics from broad to very niche. Lots of options there. You've also got a local library, I'm sure. It's maybe costs money. I know ours costs $50 for an entire year, and you can check out books all you want. They have access to audiobooks, and that's been very helpful for me personally, and a lot cheaper than Audible or another platform like that. But the library is a very good resource. But speaking of which, um, an- another source for audiobooks would be a good one. You've got audiobooks.com and Audible, and there's others out there. You can buy them directly, whatever. You can access that, and audiobooks are a very good way to learn. So that's good, too. But you don't have to learn from reading or listening or something like that or watching. You can learn from people. That's one of the most neglected forms of learning, but one of the most beneficial, because if you are trying to learn about something, let's say... An example from our previous episodes on growing a vegetable garden, and you want to learn about growing a vegetable garden. Well, there are YouTube videos about that. There's podcasts about that. There's articles about that. You can get entire books at the library about that, but you're probably going to learn a lot more and get a lot more information and benefit for your time if you just talk to somebody that has a vegetable garden and they tell you about their experience, about local things to pay attention to related to weather and different species and that kind of stuff. So that would be a very good resource that you might not really think about much, but people are a very good source of learning and someone doesn't have to be the smartest person in the world or very knowledgeable about philosophy and theory or whatever to learn from them. People have different skills in different areas But they can have a lot to teach you. For example, with gardening, someone can be just dumb as dirt and never got out of elementary school, but be the best gardener in your entire state. And you can learn from that person. You can learn a whole lot about gardening from that person. You're probably not going to learn about philosophy or math or anything like that, but you can learn a whole lot about gardening. And the same is true of all different other kinds of things. So don't neglect this resource around you of just people. Of people in your network, you should be building a network and be involved in your community. And we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But that's just one of the resources. But the point is to take advantage of all of these resources. There's so many out there. And if you're focused on learning over entertainment, and you are dedicating time to this stuff, then that will really help you out. And when I say learning, there are plenty of podcasts and books and articles about things that are interesting and you'll learn facts and it is technically learning. But what I'm focusing on from this perspective is learning and educating yourself on things that are beneficial for you and your life. So if you are learning about how rubber tires are made and the whole process and where the rubber comes from and how the factory works and what types of cars use what types of tires, that might be interesting to you and you will learn things. But that's not really going to apply to you in your life that is more entertainment than it is learning even though you are learning and so what what I am trying to focus on is stuff that is learning but it's learning that applies to your life and that is important to you or your family that can help you be healthier that can help you protect yourself whatever the case may be we'll talk about lots of different things and we already have But that's what I'm talking about when I refer to learning. And especially from an agorist perspective, you want to be able to take care of yourself. You want to be knowledgeable because the whole point is that you're not relying on the system. You're not relying on someone else or some other institution. You're going to be able to rely on yourself if you dedicate time and focus to learning over entertainment so let's get into some more practical information and points of view when you are trying to approach your life from an agorist perspective overall with just about everything what you want to do is at least learn the basics of everything reasonably possible the idea of being a renaissance man where you know a little bit about everything and you're well versed in many different things you're overall knowledgeable and educated, this is something that you want to focus on. Because obviously, if you want to be self-reliant, then you have to have the knowledge and the skills to be able to take care of this stuff so that you can just rely on yourself. So in general, when something breaks, fix it. Or at least learn about fixing it during the process while you have someone else fix it. That is okay. But There are some things that are very complicated, and there are some things that are very basic. Just about every field has a basic level of understanding that just about anyone can attain, and that's everything from electrical stuff, to plumbing stuff, to carpentry, to skills on a computer, to just all different types of things. It's endless, and what you want to do is try to at least know the basics on all these different things. This also exposes you to many different things that you normally wouldn't think about, or you would just have someone else deal with and yeah, let it be and not actually try to learn anything about it yourself. But when you do expose yourself to many different things, then you can get a good idea for things that you do like and things that you don't like. And through a process of elimination and, focus, you can really hone in on the things that you enjoy and that are beneficial to you. For most of us in our jobs, our nine to five jobs, most people are doing fairly specialized work. You have a job to do and it's this limited scope of you deal with this issue. Then there's other people in the company that deal with other issues and other coworkers that you have that also deal with similar issues, but you're dealing with one thing. You're not dealing with all different kinds of things. And this is what you're doing eight hours a day, five days a week. This is a lot of time. So most of your time is dedicated to one narrow focus. But by taking advantage of this where when something breaks or something needs to be done or needs to be upgraded or there's just something that you want to do, if you learn about it yourself and at least learn the basics of that process, then you're getting to expose yourself to so many different things, a much broader range of things than what you normally do in your normal nine-to-five job in your normal life. So that's a very big benefit. You're also obviously learning the basic skills of how to repair things, how to build things, how to create things, how to change things and adapt to different circumstances, and this is all very beneficial. This puts you into a position where you have that basic level of knowledge to be self-reliant, to be a true agorist. And that's what this episode is all about. So that's one main way of doing that is just overall in your life, when something comes up, do it yourself, or at least learn about it while you have somebody else do it, because there's things that you can't do. So someone else has to do it Maybe you can watch them, maybe you can talk to them, or maybe you just look it up on your own, do a little bit of research, and get the basic knowledge about this so you can at least understand. Even if you can't do it yourself, maybe you at least understand the components. The idea of the trivium, we've talked about this in educational episodes in the past, but the structure of the trivium is grammar, logic, rhetoric. I've explained it a lot in the past, so I'm not going to go through it all over again, but... The point here is that this philosophy really helps when you are using the trivium and it actually is what enables you to use the trivium in solving different things and learning different things because the first component of the trivium is grammar. And what grammar is, is the basic building blocks of whatever it is you are trying to learn about or you're trying to fix. So when we're talking about language... The building blocks are grammar, as you would think of it. And then logic is how do those words and punctuation and all that stuff, sentence structure, how does that come together to form ideas? And then rhetoric would be how do you talk about those ideas, discuss them, debate them, use them for purposes that you have, that kind of stuff. Well, we want to apply the trivium to everything in our lives that really helps. So if you want to learn why you're faucet isn't working right, then you have to start with grammar, but you probably don't have the grammar. If you don't know what the component parts are, then you don't have the grammar because that's what grammar is. It's the base baseline of whatever it is you're working with. So with a sink, that would be the faucet, that would be the drain, that would be the sink itself, that would be the pipes after the drain and the little trap and just all that kind of stuff and where it goes, septic tank, sewage, whatever. And that is what the grammar is. It's those components, all the things that make up whatever it is you're looking at. And so if you're ever going to have any chance of figuring out what's wrong with your sync, you have to know what the component parts are and at least understand roughly what's going on. And that's the grammar aspect. Then the logic aspect is how do these parts all work together? What are their purposes? What's the purpose of a trap that doesn't really make sense? Why do you have just this little bit of water sitting down here under my sink? Why, what is that for? How does the pressure come through and what's what regulates that? How do we get hot water versus cold water? Basically, how do all these things work together? And again, all this is fairly basic. It's not super complicated. You can figure this stuff out. Then the rhetoric is, how do you use this knowledge and how these things work together? How do you use the understanding of this system to your own ends? And your own ends, in this case, would be fixing your sink and making it work properly, whatever it was that was wrong with it. Well, you're going to at least have a good idea if you know the grammar and you know the logic and that stuff that you can learn. And maybe you can't apply that in a way that does fix your sync. But at least you're going to know a lot of stuff about it and know the basics about it so that if anything does go wrong with your sync in the future, if it's something simple and something easy and something obvious, you can actually do it. Whereas if you didn't know the grammar and the logic, then you would just have no idea. Even if it's just this super basic, simple thing, you wouldn't be able to do it on your own. You would need somebody else to come do it for you. Well, what if it's something more complicated it would be hard for you to determine that and you wouldn't know what to call somebody for. All you could say is, hey, my sink doesn't work. And that's about as far as you could get. You could tell them what it's doing, but that's it. So if you have an idea of how the systems work together, you can say, well, I think that this is not working properly and there might be an issue with that. And so you can be a little more specific and a little more pointed. So, you know, that's nice when you're trying to get something done. Same thing with your car is a very good example If you can actually tell the mechanic, hey, I need you to look at this and this, then that's a lot better than just saying, oh, my car sounds funny when I start it. They have no clue what you're talking about. They don't know what to look for. They have to look at everything. But if they're not focused and they don't know really where to look, it's very easy to miss things. So even if somebody else is working on your car, if you can point them in the right direction and you know roughly what's going on and you kind of understand the system, Then number one, you can help them to find whatever it is. But number two, you can keep yourself from being taken advantage of. Mechanics are notorious for this, for doing things that don't really need to be done and not really knowing what they're doing, that kind of stuff. So you can avoid that if you understand, if you have the logic. And even if you don't fully have the rhetoric aspect of the trivium, if you have the grammar and the logic, then that really helps yourself, whether you are doing something yourself or you're getting somebody else to do it. So that's something that we'll really be able to use when it comes to approaching life and approaching different things from an agorist perspective. You can use this idea, the trivium, and apply that in all these different ways, and it really helps in your everyday life. It's not just some theory. It's actually very practical and something that you can apply. So I've got a few different categories of specific things And I want to go through them, but I am going to be going through them very quickly because there are just so many different things, so many different aspects to all these that it would be a five-hour long episode if I went into detail on all these different things. So I'm just going to mention them. I'm going to bring them to your attention, and that's about it. You can take it from there. And that's the idea is to at least point you in the right direction, at least so you know what roads are out there to take, because if you don't, then obviously you can't really get anywhere. But if you actually know what the roads are and where they go, then you can decide which ones to drive on. That is up to you. So first, I want to talk about tech and mainly about privacy related to technology, because that's something that is a real issue. You've got companies and agencies that have so much data about you that they can better guess what you need, what you want, what you're about to do than you can yourself. This is something that has happened often. There have been studies that show this about companies that have figured out what someone wants before they even know that they want it. And that's something that you can do if you have enough data, you can do this kind of stuff. Well, on one hand, that's good because the ads you're seeing are ads that you are actually interested in or the products that someone is showing you is something that you might actually want. So that's the good side. But what I'm focusing on in general in this podcast as a whole, but in this episode specifically as well, is the negative side of things. What is the critique of that? And so the negative side is that you don't necessarily want everyone to be able to guess what you're about to do. You don't want them to be able to basically manipulate you through propaganda through advertisements and marketing, through anything. You don't want to be manipulated. How can you rely on yourself if other people are controlling what you think and what you do, or at least influencing that heavily? Well, that's not good. Number two is the from the agorist perspective, it's a very anti-government perspective. The idea is that you don't want to have anything to do with the government. So if the government has all this data and all this information on you, that's probably not so good. And if you have any conflicts there, or if you're worried that the government is a little too overreaching and tyrannical, that kind of stuff, then you probably don't want them to know all this stuff about you. So these are some reasons why. If you look into the history, one really specific example that's very interesting is look at the history of Silicon Valley And um, the connections between that and the Department of Defense and ARPA, or what's now DARPA, and the intelligence community in general really interesting. You've got, they had this unit called the Special Source Operations, and that was like a basically a venture capital fund for, I think it was the CIA or it might have been ARPA specifically. It was one of the defense groups of the military and off the government. But they basically would fund all these different technology products and programs and tests, and they were funding different programs at schools. And, yeah, it's just really interesting when you look at how, say, Google and Facebook and companies like this first started out and what those programs look like when they are first being worked on in that technology you can usually draw some very easy connections to the intelligence community, to the defense department. Well, where does Amazon get most of their money from? Well, most of it comes through their web services. It's not in what they sell. It's the web services they provide. And who is one of their biggest customers for their web services? That would be the Department of Defense and also the NSA. And so, yeah, take it for what it is. But All these companies are associated with governments. They're all in bed together. If you look at the board of directors for these big technology companies and see how many of them have served in the government and how many do after they leave the board of directors. Also, government contracts and all kinds of stuff. But this episode is not on conspiracy and corruption. We've already covered that. So I'll end it there. But the point is you might want to be careful with who has your data and how much of your data is out there. Uh, Whether it be because you don't want companies to manipulate you through marketing, or you don't want the government to use that information against you, or whatever your reasoning, there are many reasons to not want all your data out there. But how can people get your data? Well, you've got smartphones. Your smartphone will track your location. It has all your text messages and phone calls, and all that information can be accessed from your carrier as well as from the government. Usually carriers, there have been a few instances when carriers would not give information to a government agency, but that is very rare. Usually they hand it right over and there you go, there's all your data. Well, what about Wi-Fi? When you are using Wi-Fi, there is a signal that's going between your device and wherever that internet source is coming from. That signal can be intercepted and there have been vulnerabilities that have been found and ways to take advantage of that. So that's not so good. If you're doing something that's extra personal or private or logging into your bank account or something, you might want to just turn off the Wi-Fi on your device, then log in and do whatever you need to do that's very private, and then turn the Wi-Fi back on. It just might be a good idea in general. Uh, What about like pictures and your contact information and all this kind of stuff? All this is on your computer, on your device, on your cell phone, whatever it is, And there are ways of accessing that, especially if you store stuff on the cloud. There have been plenty of examples of cloud services being hacked, whether it be Microsoft or Amazon or Google. They all offer these cloud services. Apple does as well. As far as I can remember, I think every single one of those has been hacked at some point in time and people's personal information has been attained by people that weren't supposed to get it. And so if your information's out there, especially on the cloud, That might not be such a good thing. If you have things that are personal, then store them on your local device, whether it be just on your phone or just on your computer or on a flash drive or whatever, but store it there. Don't store it in the cloud where a company has control over that. Again, we're talking about an agorist philosophy where you're relying on yourself, not somebody else. So don't have another company store all your stuff and manage all your things for you because that's just not in line with the philosophy of agorism so that's another thing to think about when you're talking about privacy there are many different ways of taking advantage one would be like text messages you can do Uh, different apps or messaging protocols that use the whisper protocol and that's what whatsapp uses for example there's some blockchain companies that use this and the whisper protocol is one that basically makes the messages untraceable and unhackable and that kind of stuff so that you can actually truly have private conversations so that might be something worth looking into The same can be true of a browser. So instead of using Explorer, or Chrome is the most popular now, or Firefox, or whatever, use one like Brave or Opera, where they have built-in privacy. They don't track all your information. They actually usually have ad blockers as well, which are really handy and cool to have. And they have options for privacy tabs. I know with Brave, at least, if you open a privacy tab, you have the option of opening one with Tor. And Tor is something that also masks your IP address, which is another way that a company or government or somebody could figure out who you are is by tracking your IP address. And even that gets covered up. So there are tools out there, and they're not extremely difficult or complicated to use. The Brave browser works just like Chrome does pretty much. And so it's not complicated, but it can have some really big benefits. Same with using maybe WhatsApp instead of the normal Facebook Messenger or something. There are options out there for increasing your privacy, and it is worth looking into. If you do want to get a little more involved, you could get something like a VPN would be a good example that would mask your IP address as well. And that would basically mask all the traffic that you are engaged with on your computer or your device those can be purchased and they're not extremely expensive, they're not very hard to set up. There are also some free versions that you can get. I know there's a Proton VPN is one that I've used before. That's actually my email address for this podcast is at protonmail.com and that's an open source protocol that is privacy focused. And so they have a few different privacy things, and it's free. You can donate or upgrade to something that you pay for, but they do offer free services and free things that you can take advantage of and increase your privacy. So email, for example, is another one. ProtonMail is one that is good, and there's many others out there. But they give you the ability to send emails, receive emails, communicate with people in a way that is very, very unlikely for anybody else to ever be able to see or track. Whereas if you're using Gmail, that's not so hard to do, especially if you're Google or if you are a government agency with a contract from Google, which multiple agencies do have. So... That is something worth looking into as well. If you want to get even deeper, you've got the dark web, which runs on Tor, which I mentioned earlier. And I've mentioned the dark web before. I won't go into detail here, but there are lots of things you can do on the dark web that are, if done properly, they are untraceable and untrackable. You've also got blockchain in general. That's kind of just starting up. And I've said before, we'll do a whole set of episodes on blockchain and get into that. But it does offer the ability to have a trustless situation where you don't have to trust that somebody else has a product or a service or is telling the truth, but you can still make an interaction with them and an exchange with them without having to trust them, which is really cool. So that's another option with blockchain and smart contracts and stuff like that. Again, we'll get into that in another set of episodes, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of different options here. And there's many different layers to this, depending on how far you want to go down the privacy rabbit hole. So apart from just web traffic, and messaging and that kind of stuff, another big area is internet of things, the IoT area in general, this could be it's basically anything connected to the internet. If you have a smartwatch or a Fitbit, or if you have and Amazon Echo, or if you have just anything, a baby monitor even, that's connected through Wi-Fi, all these different things. You've got washers and dishwashers, and you have entire homes, the idea of having a smart home. All these things are connected to the Internet. And on one hand, that's really cool. You can do a lot of really cool things with a smart home and with... Devices that are connected. It's really cool. The home assistants are very handy and they're very cool to have. They can be very helpful. Same with a smartwatch or Fitbit or anything else. All these things can be good. Technology is something that can be good, can be bad, and there's usually aspects of both. So you have to find the balance that works for you. But at least be aware that all of these things are actually even more susceptible to hacking and misuse than your main devices like a cell phone or your desktop computer or something like that. So that's something to be aware of. Now, is it something to really worry about? What if someone hacks your dishwasher? Does it really matter? Well, in a way, you know, no, no, it might not matter. But if it is something that has a microphone or a camera in it and someone hacks it, that might not be something that you want someone to be able to do. Uh, If you have security cameras, for example, and someone can just hack into your security cameras by intercepting the signal and maybe alter something or hide something or delete something, that's not really good. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of having a surveillance camera or security camera. Whereas if that is all stored locally and maybe there is a wire that connects the cameras to something that stores all the video, then you don't really have to worry about that as much. Now, is it invincible? Well, no. But it's a lot more secure and a lot more private. So keep this in mind, especially as smart homes are becoming more and more popular and all these smart devices and smart appliances and smart everything. You probably have smart toilets and couches and who knows what. But just keep in mind that there are privacy issues with all this stuff and be aware of that. Look into that before you just go out and decide to buy your next IoT device or appliance. Just be aware of these things. If it can connect to the internet, it can be hacked. So that's that. Let's move on to health. Now, with health, I did want to start off with something that's related to the internet and wireless signals. And that would be the idea of wireless signals and electromagnetic field pollution is what it's called. But the idea that there are all these signals that are going around through the air all around us, through our bodies, into our bodies, that... Our bodies were never really meant to handle. Our bodies are a very complex electrical system in many ways. And when you have all these other electrical signals that are going through it all the time, there are some health risks associated with this. There have been statements made by international communities and groups and research projects that all say that this is a risk if you have a certain amount of electromagnetic field pollution that is around you then it can have negative health effects for you and with the push towards 5g that's going on now where you're going to have even more signals and stronger signals that are floating around in the air all around us that is something to just be aware of there are many people that suggest turning off your wi-fi at night So at least you don't have those signals going around in your immediate vicinity as much as you can control. Some people say to shut off power to all devices that are IoT-type devices, uh, turn off your cell phone at night, things like that. And this can actually help you to sleep better as well. So I know of a family that has a radio show, and I've listened to it in the past, and they were having a lot of issues with one of their kids And so they went through all kinds of stuff. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And so they basically cleaned up everything in their life. They dealt with food, what type of food their kids were eating. They dealt with things like this, like um, lowering the... Amount of traffic that is going on electrical signals around them in their home, especially when they're sleeping. And they went through all kinds of stuff like this. And they actually ended up uh, creating an environment where their kid no longer had the issues he was having, and they fixed it. And I'm not sure if they figured out specifically what it was that was causing it, but they went through all these different things. And it was interesting hearing their story and hearing that play out as they were doing it, because they touched on so many different things that at the time I'd never heard of before. I'd never heard of wireless signals and electromagnetic field pollution and how this can be damaging to your health and that kind of stuff. I never knew that was a worry, but it is. It's a, it's a real thing. So be aware of it. Look into it. Something worth considering. What about chemicals in general? You've got all kinds of cleaners and plastics and uh, really your food. There's all kinds of chemicals in these things that are not very good for your body. So be aware. Look at the ingredients list. Look and see if there are some natural solutions for cleaning. Oftentimes you can use things like borax and vinegar in different ways to clean things that are just as effective, but not at all toxic to your body. So that is probably a good thing, I would guess. It also makes you less reliant on other people and other institutions because you're not having to go to a store to buy a special cleaner. You can just make it yourself. And so we talked about making these things yourself in a previous episode, but this does add to the idea of living an agorist lifestyle. When I mention plastics, now there are plastics that are BPA-free, and actually the majority of stuff, especially for kids right now, is But the studies have shown that plastics still leach out toxic chemicals, even if it is BPA free. So that's something worth looking into. You might want to switch over to using maybe glass Tupperwares and glass glasses instead of plastic ones, or, you know, there's all kinds of things that plastics are used in just about everything. So just be aware if it's something, for example, that you're eating with then that might be a little more important than what your keyboard's made out of, for example. So just be aware that there are these issues and then look into it in the way that applies to you in your life. What about food? That's probably one of the most important things related to your health. Well, where did your food come from? That's a big question. And what was done to it before it got to you? Things like pesticides or GMOs or MSG or sugar substitutes that are in it or just so many different things. Corn syrup is in just about every type of drink and sauce that you can imagine. All these things are unhealthy. And it's not just that they're unhealthy in large amounts. They're just unhealthy overall. There is no amount of corn syrup that is actually healthy. Now, a very small amount is not going to kill you. It's not going to have a major negative effect on your health. So yes, there is a scale there, but it's not healthy. It's not like chocolate where you can say that a certain amount of chocolate is beneficial or drinking a small glass of wine every night is is good for your body. Well, drinking a small amount of corn syrup every day is not good for your body. There is no argument there. So just do some research. Again, this is something where look at all different perspectives because there are people that are absolutely dogmatic on one side and absolutely dogmatic on the other side. I know plenty of people that try to buy organic stuff for everything they can. And I also know plenty of people that say it is ridiculous that, you know, their parents got old and they eat all this crap all the time and they're fine. So, you know, why would I worry about it? That kind of thing. So yeah, the, the opinions are all over the spectrum, just like everything else. But with food being one of the most important aspects of your health look into this stuff, at least be aware, know the basics, learn the grammar, learn the logic, ideally, how do these things affect you? How do these chemicals affect someone's body? What are the harms that are done there? And then make an educated decision on what you want your diet to be for you and your family. That is something that you can't do if you don't have the grammar, if you don't learn the basics of all this stuff. So, learn it. The other part to learn about when it comes to food is how does all the food work together in your body? Learn about diet, and not just diet in relation to how do you lose weight, but diet in relation to how does what you eat affect your body from a health perspective. Generally, you want a balanced diet, and that is the most important thing. But what you need to at least know the basics on, and I'll just name a few things. If there are things that I name that you don't know anything about, that's what you need to at least learn the basics on. So things like types of carbs, complex versus simple carbs, um, how your body processes different types of carbs, things like sprouted grain bread versus sourdough versus wheat bread versus white bread, uh, brown rice versus white, white rice, sweet potatoes versus... White potatoes, just so many different examples, but all those are related to carbs and how do carbs affect your body? How does your body use carbs and what are the different types of carbs? Same with the different types of fats. You have trans fats and saturated fats and monosaturated fats and all different types of fats. There are fats that are found in things like butter. There are different fats that are found in different types of fish. There are other fats that are found in the fast food hamburger that you might buy but they all are different. There's different types of fats and they affect your body differently. So you, you need to know what these differences are, at least know the basics related to types of carbs and types of fats. Another thing is protein in general. How does your body use protein? What are protein levels that are actually healthy? And how do you meet that? That's something worth looking into. Uh, sugar would be another very big one. Uh, sugar is very bad for your body just overall there's some documentaries that you can watch on netflix and amazon just about sugar and so if you really want to look into it you can go as far as you want but at least for the basics learn how sugar affects your body and how it relates to inflammation and different things like that and fat Um, on your body, and just all these different kinds of things, how it affects your blood sugar, so many different aspects of sugar. But also be aware of these sugar substitutes, because there are ones that are designed in a lab that are these artificial sweeteners that are actually very unhealthy for you. There's less sugar and carbs in them. And so from that standpoint, they might be good for a diet if you're trying to lose weight but they are unhealthy for you in that some of them have chemicals that could give you cancer. So that's probably not something you want. Even if you lose 20 pounds, if you gain a tumor, that's probably not a very good trade-off. So... That's something to be aware of, but there are sugar substitutes that are not bad like that. You've got things like monk fruit, for example, or stevia is the one that my wife and I use and I, I actually have become obsessed with stevia. I put it in all kinds of stuff. I will put some in my coffee with a little bit of milk and it makes it like it tastes like a Starbucks drink, like something that's you know super good, kind of sweet, really tasty. Add some vanilla in there and yeah, really good. But Stevia is something that I use all the time and all different kinds of stuff. You can bake with it. It's, it's like sugar in the sense that it's sweet and it's a white powder, but a small amount goes a very long ways. So if you do try Stevia, um, be very mild with how much you put on stuff. And some brands of Stevia that I've tried are kind of sharp and almost leave an aftertaste, and I have not enjoyed that quite as much. But other brands and the one that I use now... It it doesn't have that. It just adds sweet, and it doesn't add any negative aftertastes or aspects to it. So be aware of that, too. If you try some stevia and it tastes a little sharp or something, it might be the brand or the type. So, yeah, try something else. But stevia is something that there are no carbs in it. There's nothing bad as far as uh, weight loss issues and diets are concerned. You can use stevia and It'll be a free thing that you can use in any diet that you're on, but it adds sweetness to anything, just like sugar. So it gives you an option to get your sweet tooth and not have that negative effect of gaining weight. So very good. Another aspect of food and diet would be the timing of your meals. So your body digests food over the course of an entire day and night. Now, at nighttime, anything your body hasn't digests it does turn to fat. So, for example, that's why you'll hear people recommend eating cottage cheese before you go to sleep. Well, cottage cheese is something that your body digests very slowly. So instead of your body digesting it quickly, and then you're not active, you're not burning anything, so it just turns to fat, instead of that, your body digests it over a period of a few hours, and it's spread out over the time that you sleep. And so your body is able to use it and process it more instead of basically having most of it just turn to fat while you sleep. And there are multiple slow digesting foods out there, but that's why people often recommend, number one, don't eat anything right before you go to bed. But number two, if you are going to eat something, eat certain things, eat slow digesting proteins mainly. And that's a good way to approach that. Same with if you're dieting or if you're just trying to be healthy in general, you should be eating something, say, every three to four hours something and it doesn't have to be a meal it can be a little snack it can be a, a little handful of almonds or who knows what an apple whatever but you you should be eating stuff throughout the day because if your body goes through a long period of time between eating food just period then when you do eat the next time your body is more likely to store it as fat and not burn it up because it doesn't know when it's going to get its next meal. You've kind of taught it that, hey, it's going to be a long time before you eat again, so you better take advantage of this and don't burn it off. Don't waste it. Like Go ahead and just you know keep it as fat, and then your body stores it as fat so that you can use it through this next long period of time that you're going to go through, and that's what it expects. Whereas if you eat frequently and at least have small snacks in between meals, that kind of stuff then your body knows that it's going to get more food. Each time it does get more food, it starts to digest that and it starts working. And so that's something that keeps your metabolism up. And that is good if you want to lose weight, but it's also just good in general. It's good to keep your blood sugar steady as well. One diet specifically that I will mention is one that, again, my wife and I have used and we Do, in general, follow, and that would be Trim Healthy Mama, and I know it has a strange name, and if you're a guy, that probably doesn't sound too appealing, but it's actually a very good plan. They have a very good plan for just healthy eating overall, and then they have options for losing weight. So for example, overall, you pretty much don't eat any processed foods. You don't eat any sugar. You don't eat any normal sources of wheat or bread. You can have sprouted grain bread, and you can have certain types of noodles and that kind of stuff. So you you don't completely cut everything out. But You minimize that stuff, and there's only certain types that you eat. And basically, you eat things that your body can process well and that are healthy for you. And so overall, that's good. But if you're looking to lose weight, the way it works is that you alternate between meals that are carb-heavy and meals that are fat-heavy. So you might wake up for breakfast and have some oats and a piece of fruit or something, something that there isn't really any fat in it at all. It's just carbs. And then when you go, you may, you may have a little snack that's made two hours, three hours, four hours later, you know, whatever the case may be. But then whenever you have lunch, then that lunch might be something that is all fat and no carbs. So you might have some sort of meat that's a fatty meat. Maybe you have some bacon that's really yummy. And maybe you eat it on a salad where you have bacon on there and, just all different kinds of veggies and spinach, and you layer it down with olive oil and some really good dressing and seasonings, and that would be a really yummy lunch, but there's virtually no carbs. Generally, vegetables don't count, and so you can have that as your fat meal with no carbs, and you basically alternate. It doesn't have to necessarily be one, then the other, then the other, then the other. It can be, you know, you need two carbs in a row, then a fat or whatever, but the point is that, you end up doing something that helps your body and encourages your body to burn more. And so you lose weight, but you're not having to totally give up all of any one type of food and you're not starving your body out of nutrients that it needs because your body does need carbs and it does need fats and healthy carbs and healthy fats are healthy for your body. And so you shouldn't just totally eliminate them. But at the same time, If you don't get specific and plan out a way to eat them so that you can lose weight, then you're not going to lose weight. That's just the way it is. Yes, if you cut out all fats or all carbs or both, you you will lose weight, but that's not as healthy. So there are healthy ways, and Trim Healthy Mama, I'm sure, is not the only plan out there that achieves this, but there are ways of still eating food that is healthy and keeping your body healthy without giving up the ability to lose weight. So look into this kind of stuff. This is basically the logic of food. So if you know the grammar, you know the basics of how carbs work and fats work and the chemicals that are in your food and all this kind of stuff, then the logic would be how do those pair together in your diet and how does that affect your body? And then the rhetoric, which um, I guess a diet would be... I'm not sure if it'd be logic or rhetoric. It might be the rhetoric side of how do you apply that? How do you take this understanding of how these things work for your body and work within your body? And how do you apply it in a way that achieves a certain goal that you have? So if your goal is to just be healthy... Then how do you do that? If your goal is to lose weight, how do you do that? Well, if you know the grammar and you know the logic, you know what the ingredients are and how these different things are processed by your body and all this kind of stuff and how that applies and how it interacts, then you can actually generate a plan and put it into action. And hey, there you go. You've used the trivium and created a healthy diet. So good. Another aspect of food would be probiotics and cultured foods. This is something that is often neglected, but your gut health is a very important thing. And again, it is often neglected. But having things that have probiotics in it and cultured foods in general are very healthy and very good for your body. Gut health, again, is important. So you do need to make sure that you are getting some of this stuff. This can include basic things like yogurt or cottage cheese or something, but also things like kefir and raw milk and sauerkraut and just all different kinds of things, but they're good for your gut. And that's something that you should at least be aware of. Look into that, look into gut health and probiotics and cultured foods and stuff. And you'll see that this is something that definitely should be in your diet in some form or fashion. And there are many different ways of getting cultured foods into your diet that I'm sure you can find some that are things that you enjoy and that you would gladly add a little more of so let's move away from food itself and move on to some other aspects that are roughly health related I would say essential oils is something to learn the basics of as well they can be used for cleaning they can be used for perfume or an air freshener or they have medical purposes there's all different ways that you can use essential oils And they are something that you can have control of yourself. And my wife has made like headache oils that she can rub on her neck and it really helps with her headache. And we have used them as air fresheners for the house, where if we're having people come over, then she'll put some in a diffuser and have, you know, create a little blend and it smells really nice. You know, they're just all different kinds of ways. We've made our own cleaners with them before and put them in like lotions or body butter or something like that, and it can be really uh, helpful for your skin. There's lots of different uses, but essential oils are something to at least learn the basics of. Again, that's the idea of all this stuff. Learn the basics. At least know what they are and how they work, and there will probably be ways that you would want to institute them into your life and use them in some way. Now, moving on to more physical health, There are different forms of, I don't want to say doctors, but things related to physical health that you should, again, just be aware of and hopefully participate in a few of these. Chiropractic is a big one. Pretty much your nervous system is all attached to your spine, and that basically has a lot to do with almost everything in your body and how it functions. And so keeping your spine in alignment And keeping all of that the way it's supposed to be can be very important. I have gone to a chiropractor since I was a kid, and I don't go often. I usually just go maybe once a year or twice a year. But uh, I have, specifically when I've gotten in a wreck before or if I'm sick— things like that, and I go to the chiropractor and get adjusted and get things aligned the way they're supposed to be, then oftentimes I actually feel better and I get over my sickness quicker when I do that than when I don't. And it really affects a lot of different things, things like headaches and all kinds of stuff. So that's something to be aware of. If you're pregnant, it's a very good idea to make sure that your spine's aligned and your pelvis is aligned and that can really ease the process of childbirth. And so that's something to consider as well. Uh, Another field to look into would be acupuncture. So acupuncture is something that's also kind of on the fringes of the medical spectrum, but it does have some really beneficial effects. I know many people that have used acupuncture for migraines and for physical trauma and all kinds of stuff that really helped them out. I know some people that just do it for fun just because they... Say it makes them feel better and they enjoy it, but other people usually will use it for more medical reasons, and there are medical benefits to acupuncture, and it can help in many different things. Cryotherapy is another one where basically you go into a little booth and you get frozen out, the temperature drops to like ridiculous temperatures, and uh, just for short amounts of time but it can be really beneficial for your body. And so that's another thing to look into. There's a lot of people that do that as a maintenance thing that they go in and get cryotherapy done maybe once a week or something like that. It can help with inflammation and just all kinds of things. Uh, So that's something else to consider. Another one that's a little less common would be cranial sacral therapy. And that would be basically like adjusting your face and your head. So uh, for example... One of my kids had some problems with nursing when they were born and they were really little and had a tongue tie. And we found out about cranial sacral therapy and went in and saw somebody that did this. She was actually um, did this and she was a chiropractor. And she started doing these therapy sessions on his head where she kind of massage his head and do different things and hit different points and uh, actually really helped. We could tell it was very obvious that After going to one of these sessions and then coming home and nursing, he would nurse great for I think it was like a day or two maybe even three and then it would start to like phase out and then he wasn't nursing very well at all. He's having a hard time latching on and that kind of stuff. And so then we'd get it done again and it would last a little longer the next time, a little longer and finally got to where I think now they still go maybe every six months or something. And so just a more of a maintenance thing like I do with chiropractic, but we, we have had some very practical applications with cranial sacral that have really helped out. I, I, have someone else in my family that suffers from major migraines. And she started going to this same person that does the um, cranial sacral therapy. And that's really helped with her migraines. If she has a really bad migraine and goes in, that can really help it and help it to go away. And she tried doing this on a regular basis and was having m- much fewer migraines than she was before while she was keeping up with this type of therapy so again it's just something else to be aware of it's another tool in your toolbox and that's what we want we want to be self-reliant we want to have a lot of tools that we can pull out and use a lot of knowledge that we can fall back on so those are things that you should look into whichever one of those you never heard of before look into them and at least know how they work and how they might help you Now, another aspect of health that is often overlooked is sleep. Ideally, you are getting uninterrupted REM sleep every night for eight hours a day, but that is not very realistic. So focus on the aspects that you can focus on. If you can get uninterrupted sleep, then try to make that happen. If you can focus on something like light pollution, for example, yes, that's a thing. That would be any lights. That's even like a little light on your smoke detector or on your alarm or coming through your window, whatever. You can get blackout curtains that block the windows, and that actually is very beneficial. You can put tape over little small lights. Uh, it's, It's something that I was not convinced of when it was first brought to my attention, but after we put it into place, and we got some blackout curtains, put them up, and put tape over all the little lights in our rooms and that kind of stuff, and same with our kids, then it was really interesting how I slept extremely well that night and we were having problems with the kids getting up too early and they would wake up multiple times at night and they didn't wake up at all and they slept in I believe like an hour later than they had been and so it was you know extremely obvious that even just on the first night when we got rid of all the sources of light in their room it really helped them sleep better and it helped us sleep better so it's a real thing, and it's worth looking into. Again, noise pollution is the same way. If you can make your environment extremely quiet, now some people have a problem with sleeping in a very quiet environment, so that might not work for you. But technically, if you want to go for the ideal sleeping conditions, it is perfectly dark and perfectly quiet. So that's something else. Um, you've got electronics I mentioned before with wireless signals and Wi-Fi. There's just lots of different aspects, but. You do want to make sure that you are sleeping well and you are helping that in whatever ways that you can. It can even get down to your mattress or what type of pillows you're using. I know they have uh, pillows that are made with husks in them, and so you don't have um, products that have any kind of history of having chemicals on them of any kind and so there's you can take this as far as you want to take it there are many different aspects but you do want to try to get the best sleep as you can and uh, do spend some attention on this the final thing that i want to mention for health would be exercise that would be the other obvious one probably food and exercise are the biggest things And with exercise, the point is just to get an elevated heart rate for an extended period of time. And the idea overall is that you burn more than you consume. So you can do this in many different ways. But overall, you should make sure that you're exercising for health, that you're not overly specialized or doing something that's high impact or that might actually cause you harm in the future or injuries. It's kind of like with eating You can do a diet that does make you lose weight, but it's not healthy. Just like with exercise, you can exercise in a way that does exercise your body and increases your stamina, but it can not be good for your body. So you do need to make sure that whatever it is you're doing is something that doesn't have a negative impact, that it actually is healthy, and that it's exercise that's actually good for you. So this could be anything. Do something that you enjoy. Again, going back to intrinsic motivation where you're motivated to do something well you're going to be a lot more motivated to exercise if you actually enjoy it swimming is one of the best forms of exercise that you can do you've got biking that can be fun trail running or hiking lifting weights uh, aerobic exercises yoga and power yoga and that kind of stuff there's so many different options out there find stuff that you like and ideally kind of mix it up and diversify with what you do for your body. And that will really provide you with some good forms of exercise that are actually healthy for you. You're not going to burn out very much if you are a little more diversified as well. And oftentimes you can just work out at home or outside. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with other people, with a friend, a workout partner, with a group in a class, you know, so many different options out there. Just make sure that you do exercise and you are aware of how, again, how exercise affects your body and different things. So lifting weights is very different than running, but they are both beneficial, but they're beneficial in different ways. So learn how that works. Even specifically just with lifting weights, there's a difference between getting a small amount of weight and maybe doing 20 or 30 repetitions with it or doing a large amount of weight and only being able to push out like two to four reps. That Those are two totally different types of Lifting weights and totally two totally different types of exercise. And so be aware of what those differences are. How do you exercise in a way that increases your stamina overall? Or how do you exercise in a way that makes you stronger or that maybe helps you with one specific thing in your life that you want to be able to do easier or whatever? There's so many different options here. But again, educate yourself on the different types of exercise and exercise yourself. One of the most important things about agorism is to take care of yourself and be reliant on yourself. How are you going to do that if you are in really bad shape, if you're having to go to the doctor all the time, if you're getting sick all the time, if your body's falling apart? Well, you're not going to be able to be very self-reliant under those conditions. So avoid those conditions. And one of those ways is through focusing on health and specifically exercise. That wraps up the health bit. Let me cover kids real quick, and I'm going to speed up what I'm talking about and not go into a lot of detail. So... Uh, This will be our speed round here. So with kids, uh, this is not just your kids. If you don't have kids, then that's okay. This still applies. It's other people's kids. It's your family's kids, your friend's kids. Anytime you're around kids, you're probably around kids sometimes, or maybe you are planning on having kids in the future, or you might, or you might be around kids in the future. There's always kids around. That is the next generation. That's our future is kids. Well, first thing, uh, I'll mention the controversial one, and that would be Vaccines. I'm not sure if I've mentioned vaccines specifically in detail on this podcast before, but be aware that there are good arguments on both sides of the vaccine debate. So be aware of what those are. There are people that are from... One side that say get all the vaccines exactly when they tell you to and, you know, you get five at a time every other week and all this stuff. And they're very gung ho about that. And there's others that say never get a vaccine. They're all bad. You know, they've got bad stuff in them. You don't want to put that in your kid, that kind of stuff. Well, again, usually most of us will fall somewhere in between there. But be aware of what the issues are, some of the issues against vaccines, and I'll focus on against because the pro-vaccine argument is pretty simple. You don't want your kids to get sick and you don't want them to get other people sick. So you vaccinate them so it doesn't happen. Very simple. But the anti-vaccine argument has many different dynamics and people are all over the spectrum on this. But the the aspects that I would recommend at least looking into would be, number one, how many vaccines are your kids getting each time they get vaccinated? So if they're getting four different types of vaccines all at one time, that's a lot that their body is hit with all at once when they're very little. That's probably too much. That's probably not a good idea. Your body can only handle so much. It's only meant to handle so much. There's a reason why kids get extra fussy and sometimes run a fever and have some issues when they get a vaccine. It's because their body's having to process this and deal with this and fight it off. And so although that's just part of vaccines, it might be better to separate them out a little more instead of doing like five or six at a time, which at sometimes they do. That's a little ridiculous. Another aspect is what is in the vaccine. So the main ingredient here would be the heavy metals. There are many vaccines. Most vaccines have some form of heavy metals in them. And heavy metals are things that build up in your body and never go away. So you probably do want to limit how much heavy metals you are putting into your child or yourself. So that's something to be aware of. There's also differences between live vaccines and ones that are not, and lots of different things. Uh, Another ingredient aspect would be that some vaccines can only be created through stem cell research. And some people, Catholics especially, are very against stem cell research because they believe that as soon as conception has occurred, as soon as an egg is fertilized, that 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 is life. And biologically, we do know that life begins at conception. But the idea, uh, just like the whole abortion debate, it's that when does personhood actually get established? When is that life an individual human being that has rights and that we need to protect? And according to many people, that starts at conception when an egg is fertilized. Well, if you are using fertilized eggs and harvesting them, and that's how you're creating a vaccine, if that is against your morals and that is unethical to you, then you might want to be aware of which vaccines are created using this process and which aren't. So you might have some ethical reasons for looking into it. But just overall, there's just a lot involved. There's a lot to it. And we're talking about people's lives and whether it be getting sick or having a bad reaction or putting bad things into their body. Or if you want to go to the extreme, look at something like the Tuskegee experiment. We talked about that in our conspiracy episode. And that was um, about a bunch of people that were getting infected with syphilis on purpose by the health department. So the government was injecting people with syphilis and claiming it was free healthcare. So some people just don't want um, government-mandated chemicals being injected into their body. And again, I can understand that. There are many different things. I will say that our kids have had some vaccines, and we have customized which ones they get and what their schedule is and how many they get at a time. We try to just do one at a time. And so work this out in a way that you feel comfortable with, but be aware, at least be educated in how you handle this issue. Because basically, there's a very small chance that your kid is going to get the mumps or polio or whatever the vaccine is. But if they do get it, it is very bad. On the flip side, there actually is a small chance that your child is going to react and have an allergic reaction to a vaccine. My wife did when she was a baby and had an extremely high temperature. They said it might even cause brain damage, and it was a pretty big deal. There are other people that... Um, Basically, uh, another family member that I know has a friend whose kid actually died from having an allergic reaction to a vaccine. And so there are risks with that. And again, those are very small risks. It's a very small risk that you catch the disease. It's a very small risk that you react poorly to a vaccine. So weigh those, but at least be educated when you weigh those and make a decision that you're comfortable with. And so that's something to educate yourself on. Moving on to other aspects of kids, let's go more with learning. Again, focus on learning over entertainment. Uh, Your job as a babysitter or as a parent or as a grandparent or whoever you are in relation to these kids, your job is not to just make sure that they stay alive. It's not just a safety thing. Make sure that they're okay. Okay. You, you actually do need to help them to grow, help them to learn, help steer them, interact with them, build relationships with them. There's a lot more than just sitting around playing on your phone and making sure they don't hurt themselves. There's a lot more to kids than that, and you should definitely be involved in those other ways. Uh, include them in conversation so instead of just doing like baby talk with them or having dumbed down concepts and oh this is adult talk you wouldn't understand and telling them to leave instead have them around let them listen to adult conversation let them be involved in a conversation explain something to them i know it's not convenient and i know it doesn't always work out and it's not always something that you should do all the time but they, they should be exposed to this stuff because that's how they learn. So make sure that the only thing they're exposed to is not just other kids and dumbed down talk, because you're going to get a lot less growth in that environment than in an environment where they're exposed to adult conversations and bigger concepts. So that's something that they should at least be exposed to. Another thing would be including them in projects or yard work, maintenance, cooking, uh, dealing with the animals. And not just doing chores, although chores would also play a role. Some of these would be chores or taking out the trash or cleaning your room. But it's not just that. It's not just making them do chores. What I'm talking about is including them in work and activity because that helps build a relationship with a kid when you are doing something with them, but it also helps teach them. It teaches them not just whatever the activity is you're doing. Let's say you're repairing a fence, and you have your kid come out with you, and they're handing you the tools or holding something for you, whatever they're doing. It depends on their age, obviously. But if they're out there with you, they're building a relationship with you. They're learning how to repair a fence. They're learning how to use these different tools. They're learning what these different tools are, And they're able to see how you work through a project and a process, which also helps them to learn how they should work through a project or a process. When they're trying to figure something out, they actually have an example to look at. Oh, well, when my dad was doing this, he looked at this aspect first, then he looked at that, then he looked at the tools he had, the materials he had, and came up with a plan, you know, whatever. They can witness how you figure this stuff out and how you carry it out. And that helps them to learn. But they're not going to learn if they're not included. You can't just tell them, oh, I went out and fixed the fence and you put this with this with this tool and that's it. Well, that's not really going to teach them very much. Whereas if they were there, they actually do learn lots of different things and not just how to repair a fence. Again, same is true with cooking or with doing yard work in general or taking care of the animals, or whatever the case may be, you want them to learn these things. Just like we want to be educated on all the basics so that we can take care of ourselves and truly live an agorist lifestyle, I would say that the same should be true of kids. We want them to know the basics. We want them to be able to take care of themselves eventually. That is our job as parents and as other adults in their lives is to help these kids to be independent. That's the goal. And so we should be working towards that goal and not inhibiting that goal. When it comes to toys and books and things like that, avoid screens. Screens are just not good for kids. Look that up. That's a separate issue. I'm not getting into that. But generally, even by official government sources, they recommend no screens before three years old and even at that point in time, only 20 minutes a day, which is very different than what I typically see in the world. So that's something that you should definitely limit or totally avoid screens of all kinds. I know there's educational content with shows and with interactive games and all kinds of stuff. But there's also plenty of educational content in nature and with board games and lots of other things like that. So with toys also, um, if you can ideally promote playing with stem toys of different types Um, so that would be science technology engineering math that kind of stuff but things that they build with so things like legos things like blocks Lincoln Logs, there's little Connect things, there's so many different types of toys nowadays, but something that they can use their imagination with something they can understand physics and gravity with, all different things like this, not just like a little toy car that they drive around, although those are fun I'm not saying they're not, and they they can have a toy car, that's okay but we do want to make sure that we encourage them to play with things that actually help them to learn, and to be creative and use their imagination, and that kind of stuff, and that is Uh, often spurred along very well with toys that are in the STEM field where they're using them to build things with. Also, being outside is a very important thing. Kids should be outside a lot. They learn a lot while they're outside. You can learn a lot from nature. And so just being out there is very helpful. It helps them to build their imagination because they don't have all these things just generically ready for them so that they can just grab something and play with it and it already is something. No, they have to pick up a stick and try to imagine it as something else and play with it in that way. So you've got that aspect, but you've also got that in nature, they learn about things like seasons and weather. They learn about plants and how they grow and animals and birds and what are the local birds in your area? What do they sound like? Just so many different things, Um, broad spectrum. I can't get into it. Surely you can imagine that there is so much that can be learned from nature, and it's important to get your kids out in nature. Another thing that's very important is to read a lot, a lot of reading. Very important. One um, overall teaching method that I would recommend looking into would be the Charlotte Mason method. We use um, that philosophy, at least to a degree, with our children as well, and that is very nature and reading focused, and that is something that's very beneficial for kids. It helps them to learn how to read and how to read better. It gives them a very good vocabulary, and when you read to them, you're reading all different kinds of books, so they learn a lot from all these other books that you read them. If they're interested in airplanes, get some airplane books at the library. If they're interested in oceans, then get some ocean books. It's just whatever they're interested in, get them. And just the fact that you're reading them really helps with their reading skills and their vocabulary skills and that kind of stuff. But they're also getting exposed to something that they're interested in. So they're motivated to pay attention and to learn from it, and they're enjoying it. And they also are learning. They're getting more information, getting more knowledge. They're learning about stuff. So it's just got so many different dynamics that really help with a kid and getting Educated in general. Moving on from kids, I'm at the point for activism and social change, but I don't think I'm going to get into a lot of examples here. Let me do a very broad overall view because this episode is already getting a little longer than expected. So let's start off by just saying that most problems are initiated by the government. That's where most of them exist. You have this cycle of unintended consequences. And it perpetuates this circle where you have a law regulation, and then that creates some sort of unintended consequence that comes up as a result of that law. And then they put in a new law to fix that consequence that came up. And then that new law also has an unintended consequence. And then there has to be a new law regulation to squash that issue that came up and on and on and on and on. That's the way it goes. It's almost impossible because humans are human. We're not perfect. We can't create a perfect law that has no negative effects. There's always going to be a negative effect. But if you initiate something that has a negative effect and you are the government, everybody's going to clamor for you to do something about it. You need to fix this. And how do they do that? By putting in another law regulation. And so because of this and because of just the government's record on things like uh, racial equality, gay marriage, drug laws all kinds of stuff that the government has totally butchered, uh, welfare programs in general, because they, number one, are extremely ineffective and inefficient with this stuff. And number two, you have this cycle of unintended consequences and more laws and regulations and just over and over and over because of this stuff. I say personally, and the agorist perspective is do not rely on government. Don't even use government. Stay away from the government. They, are not going to solve the problem. Now, the one time I would say that it could be beneficial to get involved with the government would be to get rid of laws. So if you can get them to just wipe a law off the books, that's a good thing. But if you have to add in a law to change something, not necessarily a good thing. So the focus here should be on educating people, making an impact in your local community, and changing your lifestyle because... The one person that you have complete control over in general is yourself. You can control you and that's it. You can't control anyone else. You can influence other people and that is the goal. But first you have to work on yourself because the biggest impact that you can have on someone's actions is your own because you have nearly 100% control over them. You're not just influencing. So... Work on these things on your own, whatever it is that you're into. I will use environmental issues as my example for all these, but it can be anything from anti war to drugs to the police to the education system, discrimination, whatever. There's so many different causes out there that are good causes. I don't say that in a way to put it down, but there are many different causes, there are many different movements, and the way to deal with this is to first deal with it on your own. So, for example, for environmental issues, start with yourself with recycling, with um, composting, with limiting the chemicals that you use and therefore the chemicals that you are putting out into the air and you're promoting by buying them, that kind of stuff. Make sure you're reusing and repurposing things and just being more minimalistic and non-consumerist in general, that's, that's what you can do yourself. And that has a big impact, and there's a lot more to it. But just for the basic things, those are things that you can do to help the environment yourself. Then beyond that, you can talk to other people and influence other people, which is good. Personally is the best way to do it. So an interaction between you and someone else Face-to-face, in-person is the best way to do it. And when you have enacted some of this stuff yourself, you're a lot more credible source to somebody than if you haven't done it yourself. You can try to influence someone and just be like, well, I haven't had time to do this myself, but, but you should definitely do this. That doesn't have quite the weight as saying, well, I did this and it worked really well and this is how I did it. You know, someone's probably a lot more likely to participate in that activity with you or be open to hearing about it than if you have never done it yourself. So that's another reason why you do it yourself first before you talk to other people about it. But you do need to talk to other people about it. Be open. Talk about these issues with people. Spread the word about stuff. Talk about it from a common sense and logical perspective, not emotional. Because again, if you're emotional about it, then people will easily write you off. Even if you are 100% right about an issue, you will get written off if you are emotional about it. Whereas if you're logical and rational and you just state things from multiple perspectives and talk about the arguments then they are much more likely to at least hear you out and not write you off and think about the issue. So that's the way you should approach it. And beyond just individuals that you are around in your daily life, you can get involved with groups. You can get involved online. You can talk about things through Facebook or Reddit or whatever. You can be part of an organization of some kind or a volunteer group anything like that. And so there are many different ways of actually making an impact where you are making an impact yourself. You're not usually relying on somebody else to make the impact for you. You are making as much of an impact as you can. You are influencing people as much as you can so you spread that impact to other people. And then you are also being involved with things that are bigger than just your small um, group of acquaintances. And so you are influencing this cause from many different perspectives and many different ways and having the maximum impact you can all without having anything to do with the government or with politics. That is the agorist answer. Put things into action and do it and things that you can do individually and other people can do individually. Focus on that stuff, focus on action and that is how you achieve activism. So speaking of groups, One way that you can do this, because you're not always going to be able to do everything on your own. Sometimes there are issues that you can't really help. You can't really do much about, but there are people who can. So one way to help the cause from this perspective is to support those people that do. So support a cause, support a charity, support a nonprofit, support uh, your church or an individual that you want to support through Patreon. I'm on Patreon, for example. Many podcasters are, but many people in many other fields are as well. You can support them Directly that way, or you can do a more private option like BitBacker, where you can support someone through cryptocurrencies and you can support individuals that way. There's also GoFundMe campaigns where you can get on there and support people that way. Indiegogo is another one. I mentioned an example of a documentary that's being created that I want to personally support. I've mentioned that I've supported podcasters through Patreon before. I have given to different groups. I've given to churches. I've given to charities before. I've given to individuals. You hear about someone that's in need, give them money. Maybe you can't do anything for them, but maybe you can give them some money and that helps them out and get through whatever problem that they are dealing with is whatever struggle they're going through. Maybe you can just help support them by giving them some money to help them get through it. So, no matter how you do this, and whether it is financial or physical, you go actually physically help someone do something, do some yard work for someone that got injured, you know, whatever, or it can be your time, you volunteer at the local soup kitchen, or who knows what, picking up trash, whatever. You support financially, you can support physically, you can support with your time, you can support all different kinds of ways. But overall, support things that help whatever causes you believe in. And that is going to be a lot more beneficial than petitioning the government and begging them to fix something. That's probably not going to work. But you can support things. And in general, from an agoras perspective, support more decentralized and private and local options over state options and big nonprofits. That is the agoras perspective. We take care of things ourselves and we support others who take care of things themselves and other groups of people who are taking care of things, not necessarily big institutions or the state or giant nonprofits, that kind of stuff. Also remember that money is power. You can have a bigger impact on probably just about any cause based on how you spend your money than you can just about any other way aside from your own individual actions. So be aware of that. Make sure that you are supporting with what you buy things that you actually believe in and that fall in line with the causes that you want to promote. Do not spend money at places or on things that are contrary to whatever it is you want to promote in your life because you are failing to promote that. You are actually promoting the opposite if you are funding the opposite. So money is very powerful and it's a big responsibility. We buy lots of things without even really thinking about it. So think about it. In general, You should be community focused. You should be focused on educating yourself and educating others just in your everyday life. And when you're talking to people and carrying on conversations, try to focus on talking about things that matter in general. Not just the, hey, how you doing? How's the weather? That kind of stuff. How's your family? Whatever. Although, you know, it's not bad, but try to actually bring up things that matter and talk about things that matter. And that really helps promote Um, A discussion that might be beneficial. It might add to your knowledge or to their knowledge or to understanding or to awareness for a certain issue, who knows what, but it's something of substance. It's not just some empty talk with basically no point that doesn't really benefit anybody. It instead is something that actually matters. Talk about things that matter. Don't shy away from that stuff. Focus on relationships over experiences and entertainment. So I talked about education over entertainment. The same thing can be true of relationships over experiences in general or entertainment. So... When you are interacting with people or you have some friends, make sure you spend time with them in a way where you can talk and you have conversations and discussions. And even if you're going out somewhere, maybe instead of going to a movie where you're just going to sit there and watch a screen and not interact at all, maybe go for a hike where you can actually talk and interact a lot and catch up and that kind of stuff. So focus on that. Focus on relationships. They're very important. You can even do this in a little less personal way through online groups through facebook groups or through reddit or whatever the example may be there are online groups that you can do if you don't have a lot of people either around you in general or maybe you don't know anybody that uh falls in line with some of your certain beliefs or opinions you can find that online it's not hard to do there's anything online. So you can find people and interact with people that way. Another great option is meetup groups. There actually is a site or an app called Meetup, and you can search groups in your local area. But there's other sites, there's other hosts, you can find about things in other ways. But there are groups that meet up locally, no matter where you are, for all different kinds of things. Hopefully, there's one that meets up that discusses or interacts with something that you are actually interested in. But participate in that kind of stuff. Meet people and engage with people. Contribute to the conversation and learn from these people. There's lots that you can get out of this stuff. You want to make alliances with people in general. If you are going to be self-reliant and you're not going to rely on the government and the state and institutions and stores for the things that you need, then you need people that you have relationships with, that you know, that you have alliances with, because you can't provide everything yourself. Or you can, but you can't do it very well, especially in today's day and age, with the standard of living that most of us expect. And so you're going to need to know people that do the things that you don't do. And in order to do that, you have to get to know people, and you have to build a network, you have to build alliances. So that's something also to focus on. In general, you can do this through like these different groups that I mentioned, or if your community is hosting some kind of class or classes or some kind of event, or if there is some sort of presentation going on, whatever... Participate in that. Go to it. If it's something you're interested in, then you're going to be able to meet other people that are interested in that same thing. Plus, you'll learn from whatever it is the event is or the presentation is. So there are many different benefits there. But you can meet people. You can pair with others with shared interests. Uh, The other thing you can do is help others. There aren't too many people you can help if you don't know very many people. Whereas if you know people and have a relationship with them, then you might know when they really are struggling, when they really are in need, where you can really benefit them, whether it be helping them out by giving them some money or helping them out by maybe watching their kids and letting them get a break or doing their lawn work because they can't get to it or whatever the case may be you're not going to know if you don't know people and interact with them and build relationships with them. But that's something that from an agoras perspective, we are all doing. We're taking care of each other. We're not relying on the state to do it. We are doing it ourselves and we are helping others and others are helping us and we are being a community And that's what we're going for. It's not a communist community where everybody shares everything in common, but it is a community where people actually care about each other and help each other, even if it's just from a kind of dead alliance perspective where, you know, you have something beneficial, I have something beneficial, we'll trade. Done Well, that is helping each other. And so it doesn't matter what extent you go to with that. We need help. We can't do everything ourselves. And so we need to build up relationships and we need to get to know people. We need to get involved in our community. And it's not just getting involved with people in groups, but you should get involved yourself. I've mentioned the groups and volunteering and different things like this, giving money, but there's more to it than that. You should be contributing in some way as long as you can. Not everybody can, but most of us can contribute in some way to the causes that they believe in. and. It could take many different forms. For me, one of the things that I believe in and that I have a skill at or the ability to gain skill at, I guess, would be doing this podcast because I am able to listen to hours worth of content every single day. i learn so much from audiobooks and other podcasts and other sources that I am able to share this with other people. Uh, most people don't have the opportunity to listen to five hours worth of audio on a daily basis. That is not very common, but I do. And so what I can do is I can use that um, resource that I have, and I can share that with other people. That's a way that I can contribute, and that's the way that I'm planning on contributing through this podcast. And I have some other things that I am associated with. I have some groups that I meet up with and different things like that, and I give, and there's lots of different aspects here. But there are things that we can personally contribute that we have skills and knowledge in that most people don't. And so we can contribute that to other people. It doesn't mean you have to do a podcast. Maybe you do a blog, or maybe you host a website, or maybe you host a class in your community, or start some sort of cleanup group locally, or who knows what. There's so many different options out there. But the point is, you should get involved somehow, whether it's through writing, or producing something, or selling things, or who knows what. But get involved and be intentional in general with what you're doing. Live your life in such a way that you are being more self-reliant and you are helping others be more self-reliant. And this is something that really promotes the agorist philosophy. That's the whole idea. We want to be self-reliant. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to gain in our knowledge and in our skills. We want to be educated and we want to be able to help others to do the same. So that is the agorist philosophy, that's the mentality, and that is this episode. So next episode will be one on some specific examples. I think I've narrowed down some of my examples, so I've got, I think, three individuals that will do an episode on, and then we'll do an episode on a few different specific groups. The plan right now, I've got it narrowed down to some Anabaptist groups, which would be like the Amish or the Mennonites, those types of groups. And then the Free State Project is another one that's very interesting, that if you have been involved in libertarian circles at all, I'm sure you've heard of the Free State Project. And the other one is Rojava, and that is a very interesting one that's more on the left side, But uh, they all are practicing agorism in some way, whether it be individually and doing things themselves or the communities are practicing it in a very large way and living it out. And so we'll talk about these examples and I'll present those to you. And they're very interesting. So hopefully you really enjoy that as well. But if you haven't left a review or rating, please do so. We have enough that iTunes is actually showing a rating for us. So. That's good. It was saying that there weren't enough reviews, but now we have enough. So, thank you very much for those who have contributed and left reviews and supported in that way. Thank you for those who are telling others about the podcast. There has been a fairly significant increase in downloads. I can see download statistics, not a whole lot of details there, but at least how many episodes are downloaded every day. And those numbers have gone up over the past few weeks. And so, If that is from you guys talking to other people about it and suggesting this podcast to others, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That is some of the most important support that I can get, and I greatly appreciate it. Also, people that have sent me feedback and sent me things that they want to hear more about and that they're interested in, thank you very much for that. That also is extremely helpful. And then finally, I want to thank the patron that we have, He is supporting this podcast with a monthly donation that is greatly appreciated and greatly helpful. So thank you very much for that. If anybody else is interested, you can go to patreon.com slash our foundations or click on the link that's in the show notes. And there is some bonus content that you get with that and some other things. So if you want to support, you actually do get a little bit out of it. But the main reason would be ideally to support the podcast. If you believe that this is important information that you want available for free to anybody that might need it or want it, then maybe you can help support. That would be very helpful and appreciated. So thank you for all of you, for all of your different supports of all different kinds. Thank you for listening just in general. I appreciate having you as a listener. I appreciate having people that are interested in this stuff and being able to share the stuff that I have learned and that I am still learning. I am definitely in the early stage processes of learning a lot of this stuff. It is all so deep and goes so far. So I am just at the beginning, but I am trying to share a lot of this stuff that I'm learning, a lot of this information with you. And I appreciate having you be there to listen and having people that are supportive and that are interested. So thank you very much. That's all I'll do today. So I'm out. Peace.